You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media application for your smart device or now even on your desktop. I've been using Go Wild for a while, and here's what I want you to know. What it is, it's a social media application. It's like Facebook, like Instagram, like any of those things. But the whole purpose behind Go Wild is to promote outdoor content. You can go on here. You can see exactly what you want to see, whatever um, type of content you want to see, whether that be fishing hunting, whitetail hunting, bear hunting, um, turkey hunting, just anything like that. You have so many endless options that you can check out and you can subscribe to each one of those things. And that's what you see. It's really cool, especially now in a day where social media has uh, really completely gotten out of hand. Um, every time I log into Facebook, Instagram, or anything like that, all I'm seeing is negativity. Well, with Go Wild, you're going to see a bunch of positive people that love the outdoors as much as you and I do. So go and check out Go Wild on your smartphone or even on your desktop. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. We have a very interesting podcast today, and today's guest is Kyle Vetter, and Kyle is a process engineer of, of sorts. So his job is to correct problems in a manufacturing process. And when I when I wanted to do this episode and pick the the uh, I guess the category or the topic for this episode I didn't really know where it was going to go so we took it in some random places so please be patient with this episode and try to open your mind and, and get an idea of uh, just listen to what I'm trying to say listen to the thought and the process that goes into correcting failure uh, when hunting, and uh, that's the topic of today, man. We are we are seeing if we can use lean manufacturing principles to correct our errors and make us more successful hunters. If we can do certain things, apply certain principles to our failure that and turn that failure into success, and that's really all I all I have to say. It's a crazy episode. It's a weird one, but uh, stick with me and you know play it out and see where it goes, and then let me know what you think. It might be over your head. It might be too technical. It might be a whole bunch of different things. But I had to try it. I wanted to see if I could do it or not, 
Um, so it's not a, a typical episode. And I really appreciate Kyle for coming on and and uh, talking to me because I I don't want to say I threw him under the bus, but I, I, I brought him on specifically for what he does for a living, right? In, in the world of process uh, and lean manufacturing. So uh, huge shout out to him. And I really appreciate him coming on and, and doing this. So before we get started, though, I want to I want to do a commercial here, and it's Ozonics, right? So, man, you, you hear me talk about Ozonics a lot, and I, I talk about the, the application in the timber. I talk about the application back in the garage or in the truck or wherever you decide to use it, but I'm going to do a real quick breakdown for you of how I use my Ozonics, right? From, let's say, a morning hunt to an afternoon hunt, right? So I typically have two batteries. One is charging while I'm using the other one, right? So actually, I think the best place to start is after an evening hunt. So after the evening hunt, I take my unit, I throw it in my dry wash bag, I take all my clothes, all my hunting clothes off, and I put it in the dry wash bag. I run a dry wash cycle while I put the battery that I use from that evening hunt in the charger. Go in the house go to bed wake up run another cycle as i'm getting you know my base layers on or something like that get that ozone back on that close and then i pull the battery off the charger put it back in the unit it goes in my pack when i'm out in the timber i set it up i run my cycle you know i run whether it's up the the lowest setting or the highest hyper boost setting um, i use it there then i'll come back out of the woods right put the battery back on the charger take the other battery that's been in the charger run a cycle in the dry wash bag with all my clothes uh, if i decide to come out of the timber that day there are days where i don't even need to if i don't feel like i've i've you know really sweat a lot or um, i maybe didn't use a lot of my clothes i may just ha- uh, hang it out to dry for uh, part of the part of the day and then before I go back out, I'll run a cycle and I'll just keep repeating that whole process. So one thing that's allowing me to do is wash my clothes less. It makes me more efficient in my in my pre and post hunt efforts. And man, I just feel like I'm saving money on sprays. I'm saving money on scent-free detergent. And uh, so it, it is a it is a pretty big expense up front, but it is a product that I I know is working just based on the science of it. So if you want to find out more information about Ozonics, visit their website, and it is ozonicshunting.com. Ozonicshunting.com, and I got a discount code for you. Let me get it here. Um, da, 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 Ozonics. Enter the discount code NFC19 when you purchase an HR300, an HR230, or the new Orion, and you will receive a free dry dry wash bag with that purchase. So, take a look at the, at the Ozonics, man. I'm telling you, it's uh, it's kind of a game changer in a way. I'm a huge fan of the company, huge fan of the people that work for the company, and definitely a huge fan of the in the woods and out of the woods applications. So Ozonics, check them out, ozonicshunting.com. All right, let's get into today's, I don't even know, like lean manufacturing whitetails episode with Kyle Vetter. 
in three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Kyle Vetter. Kyle, how you doing, man? All right, how are you? I'm doing good, man, doing good. Uh, so I went out to Facebook and I asked the question, does anybody out there have experience with lean manufacturing? And you were one of the several guys who reached back out to me. So, um, and, and the goal here is to relate lean manufacturing principles like continuous improvement, 5Y, 5S, to help us in the woods uh, become, you know, more successful hunters. So why don't you tell me your, your background in, um, in, I guess, lean manufacturing? Oh, so currently I work at Pfizer and uh, my, my position, I, I'm a process technologist there. So my, my uh, background in that is we're always looking at ways to make improvements on our machinery and, and how to make things more, more efficient. Um, just we apply some of our some of the lean manufacturing principles of the five whys and 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 how to fit into problem solving on how to how to figure out why why we're having problems with the machine so yeah that's uh in a big just a roundabout way that's how that's the biggest portion of what we do okay so pfizer is the medical right so you guys make yep, medication yep. Yeah, pharmaceutical. So, yeah, I worked in the McPherson site in Kansas. It's uh, it's fully, um, it's all sterile drugs, sterile injectable drugs. So everything we do there is, uh, it's uh, straight through an IV or or straight injection. So it's it's pretty critical that we're always uh, making sure we're doing things the right way. I gotcha. So process is very important. Oh yeah, definitely. And that and uh, our pharmaceutical industry is huge. Yeah. So there's not much room, you know, so like, uh, I made, uh, I used to, I guess I cut my teeth when it comes to lean manufacturing on a, with a company that made fireplaces, uh, hearth and homes technologies. And this was years and years and years ago when I used to work there, but, um, I was in charge of a little pod and, uh, they educated me on, you know, lean manufacturing principles, continuous improvement, five, 5S, 5Y, all that stuff, and in hopes of, you know, running the most efficient factory that they can possibly, um, uh, you know, that they can possibly run. But there's a lot of people out there that don't know what lean manufacturing is. So could you give us a a high-level breakdown, like a 101, what is lean manufacturing? Uh, So lean manufacturing that for, for our standpoint is just trying to get rid of all of the, all the things that cause issues. So you have, you have something that creates a defect and we're trying to eliminate the defects. So we put you know projects in place or, or whatever it takes to, to come to the root cause of what, why that caused us to have an issue, whether that was a machine breakdown or I mean, in our, like in our industry, paperwork, so paperwork issues or, or anything along those lines. Right. Okay. So then, to you know, you're trying to be the most efficient uh, company that you can be, right, on the floor right. when you're when right. you're producing this. Um, so, from a from a failure standpoint, let's say that you're you're running a you're you're running a line and there's a problem on the line. How do you guys go about identifying the problem and then putting principles or a process in place to? fix that problem so that there's there it eliminates the defect 
So first thing we do is when we we do, we define the defect, we you know obviously it's going to get elevated, but then you got to ask questions. So the one we use the most is the five whys. What happened? And then we ask why. Why did that happen? So you'll ask yourself the five whys. Why did that happen? So this happened because why? And then we just continue to answer those questions till we drive down to the to the root cause. Okay. So it's not necessarily five why. It could be shorter or it could potentially right. be could, be longer yep. than that. Okay. Yep. All right. And then um, do you feel that 5S then, uh, that, that's a system of sorting, right? Sorting material, sorting, um, uh, I guess, uh, all the things that go into the end result, which is for you guys a, a medicine, sorting all everything. Do you think being organized plays a part in being efficient? Oh, yeah, for sure. So 5S is a huge thing in our culture out there is everything has a place and everything has a home is one of the mottos we use. So um, we organize, organize, and organize. I mean, we have cabinets that have what we call a replenishment process. So when we put something in and then somebody removes it, once it gets to a certain stock level, it's going to go ahead and be replenished immediately. Okay. All right. Everything in the room is marked off. We mark everything off in our room. So everything... So a table, we know if, if somebody removed a table and now there's a line around it, so, okay, there's a table missing. We, it's easy to identify when something's not in its right place. Right. Even, even going as far as labeling every individual item as far as tools, putting the outline of that item. Because uh, where I work, there's like a, a tool, a tool, not a cabinet, but pegboard. You'd hang the tools on it. And yep. you, you obviously knew where the hammer went because it's just like puzzles when you're a kid you take the hammer you match it up with the shape on the on the pegboard and that's where the hammer goes yeah all of our maintenance department is uh, shadow boarded so you pull a piece of it might be a wrench out of a out of a toolbox and then you know behind that wrench it's going to show bright red so it's very easy to tell that somebody didn't put their tools back when they were when they were finished gotcha okay all right so this is a hunting podcast and we don't want to sit here and talk about uh, manufacturing all day. But I want to ask you this question just right off the bat. Do you feel that if a, a hunter is having a problem in the woods, he's not be, he's not successful with deer, uh, let's say he's getting busted or he's not getting within shooting range or he's just not locating any deer, do you think that you could, a, a person could, use lean manufacturing principles to get better shot opportunities or become more successful chasing game? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you just have to, need, you have to ask yourself uh, what what questions you need to know and, and uh, you know, use the five whys and any of the other. You can ask why, why are you not getting close? Well, then ask yourself, what can you do to get closer or whatever you need to do? Okay. Let's, uh, let's run through some of these scenarios because I think it's kind of important. All right. So let's say, let's say I'm your boss and you go out into the woods and you get busted one day. You come back and you tell me, Hey man, I got busted. So I say to you, what happened? Well, I got busted. So then this right. is where the five Y starts, right? We say, yep. why did you get busted? 
So let's just kind of have a, a scenario here where we where we just kind of run through a random a random. Hey, I got busted. How am I going to fix this? Yeah. So why did why did you get busted? You can ask yourself if it was were you playing the wind correctly? Were you downwind or were you upwind? Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's just so then a deer's coming down. Um, uh, well, my 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 wind was wrong well why was your wind wrong because that's that would be the next step right is to ask right ask, ask that next question so it could be i guess you could go from here you could go why was your wind wrong or why was your in why was your tree stand in the wrong location right which is yep. ki- kind of the same yep. thing so um w- where would a guy then go from that so well why was why was your wind wrong? Because my tree stand uh, wasn't in the right location. In the wrong location. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, why was your tree stand in the wrong location? Uh, you potentially could put it for a root cause there is you didn't have another stand location. You didn't have a suitable tree for a deer stand to hang in. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're sitting here going through some of these scenarios with so many different opportunities. Uh, and the goal here is just for us to sit here and talk about, um, if you are having problems becoming successful, this is one way to communicate with yourself about how deer hunting, uh, you know, how how some of your deer hunting or, or elk or whatever game whatever problems can be solved so another you know another opportunity there might be well um i didn't do the proper scouting to know that you know or i just didn't have the experience right i'm in that tree maybe maybe the wind was this way and it went right over top of the trail that the deer were coming down so once we've identified some of these problems right how do how do we go about fixing them? So you need to, I mean, first you understand what problem it was, as we talked about, and then you need to, you need to ask questions. I mean, whether that gets, that could be asking, in my instance, working in pharmaceutical, you can ask line personnel or, you know, in the instance of the hunting woods, you can ask uh, friends or family or people who have experience and ask them, you know, what, what can I do now? What, what drives this, what's going to make this better? Right. Okay. So then when, when we, when we start asking those questions, the goal is to find the root cause or otherwise known as the answer to your problem. Right. So do you think that if we, if we break down every scenario that we have problems w- with using something like five Y. Do you think there's an answer for that, or or is hunting too complicated? Of a there's so many different variables out there that could result in um, a reason you're not becoming successful. Well, I mean, I definitely think you can drive it down to a couple issues. I mean, hunting there's several things that could factor into a not being successful. But you could definitely, you know, you can lock, you can cross out the big things. I mean, if, if it's not if it's not wind, what else was it? If it maybe your stand's too open, maybe um, maybe your stand's too low, maybe it's too high, maybe you you know you can eliminate a lot of things by by doing the lean manufacturing 
you can you can eliminate a lot of problems that way. So you're not going to narrow it down to probably one because odds are there's multiple things in your that's playing against you. But you could definitely cut a big big loss of why you're not successful by following some of those principles. Right, right. Do you happen to have a example? of maybe a time that you went through that five why process to answer some of your own hunting problems? Um, you know, not necessarily. Um, you know, people like to use the five why a lot, especially in the, in the workforce, but it seems like, you know, what any, you know, anybody that hunts a lot or, you know, you kind of start, you automatically do the five whys in your head without, you know, you're not actually asking yourself five whys. You just kind of automatically, in a sense, you kind of do it automatically. Okay, that deer winded me. Well, then what What do I need to do to not be winded again? So do I need to move my location? That could be one. Could I, could I do something? Do I need to have, do I need more cover scent or a different cover scent? Do I need to wash my clothing more option or more often? And there's a lot of things that you, I think, on a hunter automatically asks himself every day that he climbs into a deer stand or hunts anything, you ask, well, why wasn't I successful? And then you make plans around how to become successful the next time. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think what it really all boils down to is, you know, cause when I was younger, I used to get busted and I would walk out of the woods and really not think about the problem or think about ways to solve it. Just like, Hey, I got busted big deal. Maybe I'll go back to the same spot the next day. Maybe I'll uh, go to a different spot, whatever. But I didn't, I didn't address what the issue was as I got older. And to me, all the time and energy that I put into hunting, I wanted to learn from that failure. Right. So I needed to learn how to ask myself these questions and play these scenarios out in my head, which, you know, ultimately led to me asking these questions and changing my hunting strategy based off of what I thought the root cause of every individual failure was, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in, in, in your opinion, do you think that enough people ask themselves these questions? No, I mean, sometimes I think people, you know, with the way, you know, the, the speed of, you know, trying to get in and out all the time and, you know, work life and, and just being busy all the time. I think, you know, you go in, you get busted and, you know, you just kind of hang your head and you get out of there and, and then you go back in the next time and, and the same thing happens. You know, sometimes I just don't, not all people, you know, just because they don't have the time to devote to actually like fixing every single problem they have in the woods is, I don't think people ask that question to themselves all the time. But I mean, a majority of us, I think kind of, it's just a, it's an automatic nature it's, it, to, for us to, to be successful is we, we ask ourselves those questions automatically of how do we need to be more, how, what do we need to do to be more successful? Yeah. So do you think that plays a more important role when you start giving yourself more, um, I guess, harder goals where let's, let's just say a guy, he's going to go from filling the freezer, shooting, you know, shooting does to maybe now he wants to focus on hunting mature whitetails or quote unquote big bucks. Do you think that at that point it becomes more important? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, anytime you up, 
up the game to to make it a little bit harder on yourself you you know it requires you to be a better hunter yourself so yeah you've got to ask yourself those questions because if you don't i mean you're going to just continue to have failures in the field and you know that eventually you know everybody's going to get tired of of not being successful and then you know you're going to have to ask yourself those questions what do i need to do to be a better hunter what do i need to do to to be successful right so kind of going back now to the world of manufacturing um what happens in, in your world if a problem arises and it continues to arise even after you're going through these processes of you know trying to solve the problem right oh man this it we're just having so much trouble trying to solve this this quote unquote problem you know and let's just say a guy is there ever a time that the environment it cannot be changed by the process um so yeah, I mean we've had instances that where I work is um, kind of kind of like you said. So our our environment is very clean at all times. It has to be to produce the product that we produce, and uh, we've had issues where we have you know maybe some issues in our in our clean rooms that we're having maybe some issues with keeping it clean. So you know it's kind of out of our control, and we have the problem over and over and over again. And we've thrown different projects in place at it, and it doesn't fix it. You know, then it, you know we start pulling in more. You know, get more people involved. To, you know, kind of like to kind of bring this back to like hunting or whatnot is you start asking friends, or you know, at work it's coworkers, or you start getting more experts involved in, in how what it takes to to really understand what the problem is because maybe you didn't actually we didn't actually understand the problem when we first threw the first project at it, it may not have been, we thought that was a problem, but you know, sometimes there's an underlying issue that is actually the problem. And it kind of goes back to, you know, when you're hunting, was it actually, were we being winded or were they actually seeing us? Is it because our stand was too tall or too low or we just didn't have any cover around us? Okay. So it takes, it takes more data to solve the problem over a certain uh, period of time then it sure. does just saying, oh, well, I, I, I know they saw me. I know the deer saw me. Well, maybe he didn't see you. Right. Maybe he smelled your, your ground scent or he's, right. you know, he, he caught your wind or I don't know, you made a clink on your, on your tree stand or something like that. Okay. Yeah. But what I, what I guess what I'm trying to say is let's put it this way. There's, there are certain States out there that are very high pressured and, uh, the, the likelihood of them shooting a, let's just say Boone and Crockett animal is very, very low. Right. Do you think that if, if they put those principles into place, it also might help them realize that their goals are too big? Oh, for sure. I mean, hunting an overprop or overpressured area. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're shooting for the moon. If you're, if you think you're going to, shoot at Boone and Crockett and the the pressure is so high that you're just pushing all the animals out of there. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I, mean, I see it both ways. Okay. All right. So, so a guy goes, a guy says, man, in my goal this year, I, I hunt, uh, I hunt 
Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, wherever. My goal is to kill a Boone and Crockett deer. I go in and I'm doing everything right. I don't get busted, but I don't see a Boone and Crockett deer to shoot, right? Well, let me ask myself, you know, like, hey, why, you know, why, why didn't I kill? Why, why am I not killing a Boone and Crockett? Or why am I not killing a four-year-old? Well, a simple answer could just be like, well, there's no four-year-olds in your state or there's no four-year-olds in the area that you're hunting. There's no booners in the area that you're hunting. And then saying, okay, well, maybe if I want to become successful in a different way, the goal is to change my goal. Is there is So I guess what – like referring to manufa- uh, manufacturing where let's say the, the higher-ups say, all right, you need to produce this number – uh, you know, this amount of medication in a week. And you're like, what are you kidding me? You know, like, there's no way we can do that. Yes, you can. We're just going to have to do this, this, and this. And then through the process, those people learn that that goal may not be attainable through the, the current process. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have, we've had that happen numerous times where, you know, demand, says we need this much per week in order to hit a goal and we you know we put projects in place and we use the five or the the lean manufacturing to help kind of streamline what we're doing and you know we still fall short sometimes i mean it's not a lot of the problems or sometimes our problems are not always in our controls it's sometimes out outliers that that really hold us back from being you know really efficient being 100 percent efficient yeah okay Gotcha. All right. So let's transition here a little bit. Um, are, would you call yourself an organized person as far as your hunting gear and equipment? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I got a, I got a room on the side of my house that is just nothing but hunting gear and I've got shelves and cabinets and, and I've got uh, old kitchen cabinets in there and I've got my deer calls here and my turkey calls over there and I've got my reloading table with all my, all my reloading supplies and yeah, my room's I'd say pretty organized. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in the past was not very organized when it would come to what I did after my last hunt. Right. So back in the day, I, I, I used to just throw all my crap in the back of my truck and there it would stay until my next hunt. Right. <laughs> release and under the, oh, yeah. you know, release under the seat by binos, you know, under the other seat, you know, and then you get kids kicking stuff around. And then I ended up getting a, like this tote that's organized that hold, even holds my bow. And you would be surprised how much more efficient I am with my time where I'm spending probably 45 minutes a day during, oh, for sure. like, you know, let's say during the rut, not looking for things because it always goes back in the same spot. Right. Yep. I think that if yeah, I, I mean, when I first started hunting as a kid that, you know, you just throw everything in the back seat and you get there and you're, you're looking around for your, your gear, your binoculars, and you didn't put nothing back in your backpack. <laughs> or, and, you know, as, as I get older and, you know, you kind of like we were talking a while back is uh, your goals get a little bit more. So you want to shoot a bigger deer and, you know, things you start thinking, you know, as you're an adult too, for one, you have, you have, a job you got to go to every day. So I don't get to hunt as much as I want to. So I try to really make 
be as efficient as possible. So, I mean, I, I get off work and I haul butt to get to the deer stand so I can, so I get there and all my gears, you know, within it in its little bag, my tote bags and, and I get out and get dressed and change and, and I'm in the deer stand in a matter of 10 minutes versus before I'm looking for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So but being more organized has allowed me to have my, my gear to be cleaner. So, I mean, so throwing it in the back seat, now I'm putting scent bags, scent locker bags and, you know, that has helped me a ton. Yeah. And well, and at the same time, just spending more time in the tree stand than looking underneath of the seat of your truck. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let's talk a little bit about hunting. So you live in Kansas. What, what part of the state do you live in? So I live in Hutchinson, Kansas. So I'm down in the central part of Kansas, just North uh, Wichita. Okay. All right. And, um, what what would you say your overall hunting strategy or what does your whitetail season look like from high level? From high level. So um seems like every year it gets to be a little bit longer for me because I've really been getting into putting the food plots in and, and you know, running feeders and protein feeders year-round now. In the last four or five years, we've really been doing that. So my, my whitetail season almost never ends now. But uh, as far as when the season starts, I mean, I try to hunt over um, around here, I try to hunt over food, so crop fields. Um, we do a lot of, like I said, food plots. We hunt over food plots quite a bit. Uh, protein feeders, we have those in our fields as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, high level, that's that's basically it. Uh, tree line, edges. Got you. So I hunt a lot of uh, river property. So one thing that's kind of unique about river property is you see a lot of deer that you don't see very often. You might they run that river. So you might not, you might see them today and you might not see them for three more months. Yeah. My uh, uncle lives in Southeast Kansas and he says the, he says the exact same thing. He's like, you know, October, I'll see the usual suspects, but then later into October, you know, and then I don't know what, when would you say your rut typically kicks off? Cause he always says it's, it's later by a week than Iowa. So, I mean, it just kind of depends. I, I like to say the second week of November is pretty much maybe the start of the rut or maybe the peak of the rut, and it kind of dwindles off, I would say, by Thanksgiving-ish. It's probably on its last last maybe week of rut. It's starting to dwindle down. But yeah. I would say maybe even pre-rut is right around maybe the last week of October. Okay. And then are you – I mean, do you do it all, or are you dedicated to gun, or dedicated to bow, or do you do both? No, so I'm. So let's put it. I I'm not against gun hunting, but I've never rifle deer hunted. I've gone, but I've never been able to get myself to pull the trigger. I love archery hunting. That's that's what I do. So, so that, I, I focus pretty much all my time on archery hunting, and all my setups are pretty much designed to set in with a bow. Huh. Cool, man. I mean, that's, that's me. I mean, I, if I had more time, I would probably be a shotgun hunter too, just cause I love hunting. But right. you know, if I'm gonna, if I only get so much time throughout the entire year, I'm going to, you know, I'm going, uh, I'm going bow hunting. No, so, I hear you. Yeah. So, so how many acres do you have access to roughly? Um, so I don't know all in all for an exact number. Um, got a couple, uh, 
probably about 400 acres total between all the maybe four properties we hunt. Okay. And the reason I asked that. Four or 500 acres somewhere right around there. Yeah. The reason I asked that is, you know, I want to know what your strategy is throughout the year. Uh, and, and I mean that because some guys can, they can hunt every day and not pressure their properties while others, if they did hunt every day, they would really pressure their properties. Yeah. Uh, so what I try to do is I run cameras. So I, I know what, what I have on each property. And I, my biggest goal is to stay out of there as much as possible. Once usually about September gets there, I'll fill feeders up the last week of September and my feeders will usually run for seven weeks before I have to fill them up again. And the only time I go in is when I'm either going to go hunt or top off feeders and check cameras real quick. But when I do that, I go in, I spray down, I wear the rubber boots. It's in and out. I'm not out there any more than I have to be. Basically starting the first week of September, I really don't go out there much after that and then until I fill feeders. And I try, because I, I try to plan my, my hunts around my work schedule so if I know I'm going to take a week off in the second week of November for the rut, then I will try to be out there two weeks prior and fill all my feeders so I don't have to go out there at all. And I can just literally go out there, set in a deer stand and hunt and not have to worry about anything. Right. Okay. So is there, you, you basically are using trail cameras to uh, identify when you actually need to be out there? Yes. So I, I use my trail cameras for inventory to see what I have when when they're when they're coming through the property and try to get them you know somewhat patterned the best you can pattern a wild animal but you can you can get kind of close and know that you know this buck is coming through every evening at dark or right before before sunrise he's coming through on the feeder or whatnot so you kind of plan around that. Okay. Uh, are you using a lot of, uh, you mentioned you, you try to stay out of there. So are you using cell cams, a lot of cell cams to get that info no, back to you? I would love to, but man, just to get into those, those are, those are pretty pricey. Yeah. And I run, I don't know, I bet I have anywhere from 15 to 20 cameras up year round. So I don't know, that'd be pretty substantial cost to get into that <laughs> well you don't have to buy 20 cell cameras all at the same time <laughs> <laughs> that's true um so do, do you have a do you have a, a pattern like once the season starts or uh, a trail camera strategy of when you're going in to check them because you know as we all know there's times where a, a big buck could come in on the first day of the season no that's a that's a very good point um i i need to be a little more strategic on how I check them. Um, no, I, I don't have any real strategic plan. I usually just kind of, I know I'm seeing big deer on this property. So that, you know, every year it seems like a property that has big deer on it. That's kind of the one I focus to a little bit more. Right. But, you know, good point. A new deer walked into another property. And if I'm not checking cams as regular as I ought to be, then I just maybe that opportunity to, to shoot a really big deer that I hadn't seen, I, I may have, may have given that chance up. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that, that that's good or bad because I, you know, I'm the same way. It's, it's, I can tell you right now that my farm, all the big deer are typical last year for some reason was, uh, an outlier year. I had a couple of deer mid October in daylight, like during that lull period in daylight, you know, while I'm up, you know, I'm, I'm not in the woods. I'm being family man, Mr. Worker. 
and uh, had a couple big deer s- step out in daylight during that that October lull period kind of threw me for a loop but for the most part you know I'm not seeing day walkers mature big buck day walking activity until man like the 27th and the 28th seem to be the magical number of when these bucks start making consistent daylight appearances what's it like for you yeah yeah so it's kind of same thing here it seems like early season i have big bucks all of the first week couple weeks of september i have big bucks daylight every every evening almost like clockwork you can count on a bachelor group of bucks being in every night and then it seems kind of like october rolls around and they they break up you only get your buck here and there and and it seems like when you get a little bit closer to rut, it seems like a lot of the deer kind of go nocturnal or, yeah. you know, they're only traveling early, early morning or late, late evening at last light. So that's kind of the pattern we have around, or at least on the properties I have, that's kind of the pattern around here. And when do you typically take your, your vacation from work to get out there and be serious about it and, you know, start covering time? Yeah. So about three years ago, a buddy of mine, really didn't have a whole lot of vacation and or didn't have time from work that he was able to burn and he instead of taking the rut we took he ended up taking the last week of october off and he convinced me that you know i should do the same so we took that week off together and we hunted every day for like nine days straight every morning every evening and set the stand from before daylight till 11 12 o'clock get down eat lunch and set the stand until dark every day for like nine days and I'll tell you what, that I was real against it until we did it that week. But I saw more deer that week than I had ever seen moving. So I, the last three years, I really liked that last week of October, first week of November. And then I always end up taking the second week of November back off. So I'll take, I'll take a week, last week of October, first of November, however it falls. And then I'll, I'll work a week and then I'll take another week off after that to try to catch the peak rut. Man, that's interesting. Interesting. So you guys are sitting all day or you're getting out of the stand, eating lunch and going right back in. A lot of times. Yeah. When we take vacation, if it's not like a work week that we're, that we're actually on vacation on, we'll set, you know, five, five hours, six hours in the morning, basically get out, go grab something to eat, take a break for a little bit and then back in the stand all evening. That is crazy. Even in late October, what are what are you seeing that late October time frame when you're sitting all day long? So when we're seeing there is it's usually most of the activities early morning or late evening. So we're seeing you know a lot of does in 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 their transition from feeding to bedding. Um, so it's usually still pretty warm around here. So we hunt a lot of river property, and it sure seems like they like to go down to the water every evening and every morning. But, you know, once in a while, to be honest, after about 10 o'clock, we don't see a whole lot. I mean, we have, but I would say we're just down to a few here and there, maybe one or two deer an hour. Whereas, you know, in the mornings you see groups of deer, five or six of each. Okay. And and so are you doing it just from a just-in-case? Like, we're, we're sitting from 1030 
you know, I'm, 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 you're sitting all the way until noon, let's say, eating lunch, getting back in at one or two o'clock. So those those non-productive times are, hey, I'm using my vacation. I might as well be in the stand, even though the odds of me killing a deer during this time frame are fair, fairly low. Sure. I mean, absolutely. Um, we, You know, that's I set that time aside every year and I want to utilize as much of, of my vacation as possible. And, you know. We've actually seen some big deer, you know, get up in midday, whether that's a farmer out in the field that bumps him or if he's just just up browsing at the time. So, I mean, yeah, most of the time we're, like I said, we're not very, there's not a lot going on midday, but a lot of it is we don't want to be coming in there in the evenings or in the, or mostly in the evenings. We don't want to be walking in there when deer are out in the field. So we, we try to get there way before the deer even get up out of bed and start browsing. We usually are in the deer stand at, you know, before they're even up browsing, looking for feed or water at that point. So, Gotcha. So it's just, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, because if you get out and come back to the same stand every single time, it's just more entry routes, more exit routes, you know, uh, just more pressure on the property. So you're saying you're getting, you're, you're just sitting there longer periods of times for not only just in case the farmer bumps the deer, but to almost impact your, your pressure on the farm as well. Right. Right. Gotcha. Okay. All right. We're still, you still got your travel in and out that you're always, you're always risking that every time you go in and out of a deer stand, you've always got that risk, but, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it really minimizes that because you're still going to walk in, whether you get out of the deer stand at nine or you, or you walk to the deer stand at four in the afternoon. You're still going to have that every time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So in the past and historically, what has been the best is is the farms that you hunt been more active for good deer in the mornings or in the afternoons? So I always like hunting in the mornings. I don't know why, but as I get a little bit older every year, I find that getting up in the morning and getting to the deer stand is not quite as easy as it used to be. <laughs> um, I, I honestly love hunting in the mornings way more. I think, you know, that sunrise and then, you know, I love it when it's nice, cold and crisp and you got that frost on the ground and then the sun comes up and you kind of see the steam coming. There's something about that that's just, that's my favorite of all. Yeah. Love, love that. But I, in the last couple of years, I'd say I've been more successful in the evening. Yeah. I'm Just, gonna... you know, I don't know why. I don't know why. If it's, be, I think it's because I hunt more in the evenings now because I have, you know, work a full-time morning all the way till two in the afternoon most of the time. So I hunt more evenings. So I'd say I'm more successful because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, man. I, I still, my favorite is mornings. Like I used to be an afternoon guy. But for some reason, I feel like I can get away with a little bit more making noise going into the tree stand or maybe it has to do with thermals. Who knows what it, what it is, but I feel like I, I see more deer in the mornings, but I'm seeing more of the right deer in the afternoons, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I 100% agree with that. So, and maybe it's just, I'm subconsciously putting myself in better positions for afternoon hunts. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think about it a lot more because my time is, I have less time to hunt than, than I would like to have. So yeah, I mean, I, I put a little more emphasis into getting the right stand location and, and what do I need to do to be quieter entering and exiting and, 
and what do I need to be to be to eliminate more scent as I'm coming in and out. Right. Do uh, what's the terrain on your farms like? Real quick, is it? I mean, is it limited? I mean, when I think of Kansas, I think wide open pasture with the trees in the fence rows and the river bottoms. Um. So. Two of the properties that we hunt are, are right on the Arkansas River. So it's thick trees for maybe a quarter mile wide and the properties maybe a mile long. So there's substantial trees, but then right adjacent to that is crop fields. So a lot of what we hunt, we don't necessarily go deep into the trees because it's hard to get in there because it's a long, narrow property. Yeah, We typically will hunt the, the tree edge most of the time. Not saying we haven't got a couple stands in there deep, but those are hard to get to because you make so much noise in the fall with the leaves on the ground and and the sticks and trying to get in there early in the morning. It seems like we bump so many deer trying to get in deep that we've kind of just we kind of withdraw and try to stay out on the edge a lot of the times. But we've got another property out in the Burton area, out uh, maybe 30 minutes from Hutch uh, East. It's nothing but pasture with big groups of trees in the middle. I mean, and it's pretty spread out. I would say there's probably 30 trees, and then there might be 400 yards of pasture, and then there might be 20 trees, and there might be 400 yards of pasture, and then there might be 40 trees. And we just watch the deer basically meander through the, the pasture, stopping oh. at the, the ponds and, and grazing the whole time. Okay. So what's on the agenda for 2020? I mean, do you got a, uh, a deer that you kind of – hoping shows back up yeah so uh yeah my son he's uh 10 years old last year he uh was his first year uh with a crossbow hunting and he actually shot his first doe last year and shot his first buck awesome um long story short he had a chance to shoot a really nice buck but did not have the arrow knocked all the way back so the safety on his uh crossbow actually stopped the string because he didn't have his uh, bolt all the way back oh. uh, so yeah he's on the list uh, last year he was uh probably a four-year-old deer uh nice 10 pointer real symmetrical um i was hoping last year he was going to get him that didn't happen so I, I actually just uh two nights ago i was actually out finishing up some food plots before the rain and decided i'd pull some cameras while i was out there and uh he's still there so his uh he's cut He's still in full velvet, and he's not fully grown back yet, but he's definitely uh, looks bigger than what he was last year. So he'll probably be, I'd say he's at least a five-year-old deer. He'd be, he's probably number one on the target list, probably a 160-inch deer. Nice. So are you going to get a little redemption for your son, or, or is it one of those things where whoever's hunting when he shows up, he's getting an arrow? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it would be really hard for me to say no, but I would sure love to see my son shoot a shooting a real nice buck this year but you know i I say i won't shoot him but when he stands underneath the deer stand at 20 yards broadside i don't know it might be a different story let's not get ourselves he's gonna get an arrow right (laughs) all right so let me ask you this your son let's just say he shoots this giant what do you think his expectations would be moving forward because i see some of these people on social media, they put their kids and, oh, hey, you know, little Jimmy, his first deer he ever shot was a 160 class buck. And like, what do you do from there? Yeah, I think about that all the time. I mean, I can honestly say I've never shot some big monster. I mean, 160 inch deer is just, 
I mean, compared to what I've ever shot in the past, that's a big, big deer. I mean, if that was my first year, I don't know everything else besides under 160. Wouldn't that be a disappointment every season? Yeah, I mean, the way the world works, right? I mean, let's just say, uh, um, you know, we all like to sit here and say, oh, man, I want to shoot. The antlers don't really matter, right? But they kind of matter. Let's not kid ourselves. They matter a little bit. You know, so I, I feel like I don't know if I would want my kid to shoot some slob right out of the gate at 10 years old and then lose interest because there's nothing worth chasing anymore on on trail camera you know what i mean like oh here, check out yeah, this for sure. I'm, yeah i get it i mean i i try to say that antlers don't matter either and i've i've been i've been saying that for many 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 years now but i sure get a lot of, a whole lot more excited when something once the big old antlers come through yeah then you know a little spike buck every year yeah me and you both man me and you both so well, I tell you what, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and chit-chat with me about uh, the whole lean thing that we talked about and, and BS a little yeah. bit at the end about, uh, you know, uh, where you hunt in Kansas. But uh, let me be the first to say good luck this upcoming season, man. Hopefully uh, you and your son both connect on some good deer. Yeah, you too. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Do me a favor. Let me know what you thought of that episode. I know uh, that one was kind of out in the stratosphere, uh, and I really appreciate you guys taking time to listen to it. So thank you very much. Huge shout-out to you for listening. Huge shout-out to Kyle for uh, giving me his time. Huge shout-out to all of the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, Ozonix, Wasp, Lone Wolf, the Average Conservationist, and Vortex Optics. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, man, because uh, I'll tell you right now, tons of great people work for the companies that I just mentioned, and they all make really good products. So uh, please go out and support those companies. Last but not least, please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Please subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation. Please go to sportsmansnation.com, S-P-O-R-T-S-M-E-N-S, nation.com check out the website tons of podcasts man and we just keep adding to it and keep adding to it and uh i feel like our content is up there with anybody's content period period i'm I'm that confident that we're putting out great information telling great stories uh, just very knowledgeable individuals putting out these podcasts or really good hosting skills interviewing the top-notch knowledge people in really any realm in the outdoors. So thank you very much for listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.